Well, it's my pleasure this afternoon to be talking to Piers Dawson in the square in Solia with the sun shining on us. And we're talking all things food because that's really where Piers comes from. Welcome to Boat Radio, Piers. Thank you very much for having me. Now, food. Mm, we all enjoy it. Tell us your start in food. Yeah, food's kind of become my life. Working, not working, just all about food. I was born into a family that at the time had a restaurant and so as a screaming baby would be left in a little cot in the dry stores and as it went on and, and I think that's where it kind of continued from but it took a while for me to actually find my own feet in food. So which, which continent were you on when you were left in the dry goods store? In Australia down the south coast from Sydney in a little town called Batemans Bay. So that was seaside, seaside Sydney is it? Se- seaside Four and a half hours down the coast at the time from Sydney. So you are Australian? Yeah, dual nationality, English parents, Australian passport, born in Australia, spent sort of half my life in Australia and half my life in England as well. So take us through your food journey. So it's an interesting one. I didn't really plan to get into food. I had an auntie that was a, a chef and caterer. My dad had had uh, a few restaurants. My mum and dad at the beginning had a restaurant called Rafters, which I was born into. But then food kind of took a, a back seat for me. Um, I studied art, graphic design, was a graphic designer for the first four years or so of my trade. And then it all turned into music and DJ, and subsequently left Australia to live in London and DJ and travel, and, and that was the kind of food hadn't really hit in, although I'd had some jobs in kitchens and things in the past. So you were, were you a celeb DJ? Not, not like they are today, but uh, I made my living by DJing and, and touring and playing at the time sort of every night of the week. So did you do any of the Ibiza stuff or the Mallorca stuff? That was, I did more sort of Berlin, Thailand, uh-huh. uh, between Australia and that never, I was kind of more into hip hop and funk and things like that rather than sort of house and Ibiza, which is quite strange because if I had been Ibiza, Mallorca would have been a, a, probably a hell of a lot closer <laughs> yeah. than, than where it took me to to get to that point. So, all right, this is very exciting. So you're, you're having a great time going all around the world and making money from music. So what changed? We had a really big uh, hip-hop night in London um, and worked with tons of big people and stuff. It was all really good. And then I kind of, at the same time, I started working for my auntie who had a catering company just on the side, not thinking much of it. And I had a relationship that was heavily involved in and uh, in all my music and nights and we kind of broke up and I think I made some changes and and started to focus more on food and it was quite interesting at the time I was working for a couple of companies and um, one of the companies um, did a lot of work touring and um, traveling and doing festivals so it was kind of swapping from one side of the stage to back a stage which was interesting for me uh, it was a company called Eat to the Beat and I think maybe the travel and the lure of being paid and working and, and getting to cook and meet new people and do exciting things it kind of grabbed me at the time. So, so were you part of um, you know you went with bands all over the world then did you? Yeah. That, you started that, cooking uh, for celebs? Yeah yeah I, I, I did. I, at first it was sort of 
big festivals and then and then sort of corporate stuff and then after a while I was working with two companies an amazing company called Allison Price and Company based in London um, which is top end sort of VVIP amazing no money spared beautiful food and the other one was cooking amazing lovely food with Eat to the Beat but sort of catering towards VVIPs but in a different scene sort of music and stuff so What's the name of that? Eat to the Beat? Eat to the Beat. Eat to the Beat. I love that. That sounds they, really they've good. Kind of, they've had a, a million different names and different companies, but they had a company which I was working for at the time called Chevalier, and Eat to the Beat was the touring music side, and then Chevalier was the corporate side, and I was sort of doing more of the corporate, and then eventually sort of got pulled over into the music touring side. And now the company is actually called Global Infusion Group which I still do stuff for to this so, day. So tell us the stars that you accompanied and fed. Uh, that's, Are that's, you allowed? No, that's the one that I'm not really supposed <laughs> You're not to, allowed to, to talk say. About. Okay. Let's just say that, <laughs> that some of the biggest bands in the world and some of them I sort of cooked for consistently for five years or so and we did lots of things. But everyone, I mean, there's there's old classic stars, young stars, people that all different types of music and and I think the great thing was sort of a lot of work in America a lot of work in Europe even over to China and then of course a lot in England as well so you've done the world and you fed the uh, fed the best and now you're in soya yeah now why <laughs> I think at the time I was made uh, executive sous chef at Alison Price and uh, we had a little boy called Charlie Holly and I and it, I've kind of felt that I couldn't do enough as a dad or enough at work. And it was kind of the two things needed all my time. And, and I couldn't do either as best as I wanted to do. So we kind of focused on Charlie and decided that we'd do a move. And my mum had, had lived in Soya for 10 years now. So we've been coming over here holidays, even doing work, doing jobs for people and stuff. And then and then I think we came on holiday and had this crazy chat on the other side of the square actually and just decided that maybe we should just pack up and come and start a business over here. And uh, once my wife gets an idea into her head, the tickets were booked one way and uh, we were on our way. Now, is my memory failing me or did you actually get married here? We did, we got married four years ago. And it was amazing. I couldn't pick a better place. So your mum lives here already, and she already had a life here. Uh -huh. And then you came here and thought, I'm going to cook, or I'm going to open a restaurant, or what was it, what was your plan? I've never really been into restaurants. Um, what I've always done is sort of private events, catering, personal chef, things like that. And we kind of, my mum has a business where she looks after and manages and rents and owns luxury villas or nice villas and one thing that kept popping up over the years was the need for top-end sort of fine dining in villa catering special events and stuff like that and there are amazing chefs on the island but it didn't seem that there were people doing that sort of stuff in the valley or, or the kind of stuff that I like to do. So, so we came out with the idea that we would start up a little business that would just cater to special bespoke events and things for people that were hopefully as passionate of food, about food as I am. But you, you've chosen, um, you have a, 
a business that is available island-wide, but you've chosen to live in the Solier Valley. Why was that? I think as we kind of talk about, as, as, as you've mentioned many a time before, when you come through the tunnel and see the valley, it's pretty amazing. And, and I've heard from other people saying as well that, that, you know, the first place you go to is kind of the place that you fall in love with. But it was really special here. And I'd traveled and done stuff, but we kind of had already sort of seen a market that was here. And, and I can't really think of a better place I'd love to be on that island than in here. And is Charlie having the best time? Charlie is having an absolute ball. It's amazing. He he speaks three languages. He's learning. He's two and a half and uh, tall as you like and stands out a mile. I think he knows more people and more people know him in the village than, than I do. But um, yeah, it's just, it's it's amazing. He loves it here. Take us through the build-up to, ha- to having a successful business here then. So w- what happened? How did you start and how did it all kick off for you? Well, um, we came out a year before and sort of once we'd got the idea that we were going to move out here and Holly, um, my wife turned and, and started to speak to real estate agents and people that were managing and looking after villas and basically doing tons of footwork and one of the people in Daya actually said we're always after new chefs but we actually, for the clients and people we have, we need to... Um, we need to know what type of food we can't just sell you on photographs or what you say so so it was kind of a really good idea that we'd come along and pre-season at the beginning of last year we would do a tasting event and uh, at the tasting event we kind of tapped into all the people that we knew personally all the people and people we'd met through my mum and um, and then everyone that we could uh, think of that was involved in real estate or or houses the people in all the banks the people that were involved with people that might know people so we did a two-day event in one of these beautiful houses called Cambay Astaire which we were fortunate enough to use and I just tried to do my take on the food I'd eaten in Mallorca and then all new things that I didn't think people may have seen and so we did two separate nights and just invited people to come along and they could mingle and have a chat and I just did food and we talked about food and and sort of basically got to meet everyone which was amazing and and I think when we first came out we we it's it's been successful and I don't think we thought it would be as successful so yeah I have this this vision that that I would have come out and uh, maybe do 10 or 12 jobs and I'd spend the whole summer playing with my boy and, and we'd have a lovely time in the sun and I think at 55 jobs in on the first season it got to the end and I was like please can we can we stop I'm tired I've got to enjoy some of the sunshine but but it's been amazing it's been really good. So 55 bookings in that first year yeah in that first season yeah and uh, we really weren't expecting it I think it's just people have been so open-armed and so welcoming. And I think whether to do with food or business or what I'm doing, it's, it's people in the village have just been so lovely. I think everyone that has booked or people that had come to and tasted on the first tastings were just recommending and people were from then on recommending. And it's just been really, really lovely. Everyone's just been so helpful to us. 
And what about for next year? And what about future bookings? Is your diary already bulging? Uh, yeah, well, well, that was the first year. The second year, the end of this year, was, was really good. And at the moment, we're already taking bookings for next year. And actually, we're taking bookings into December and January as well, which is, which is, which is re really nice. Our off-season is slowly becoming just a complete season. Well, the, the off-season, we have to talk about that because Charlie's Kitchen pop-ups have become the place to be, the place to meet. Tell us all about those. Well, the idea was to do... Well, basically, I, I just love cooking and being in the kitchen and constantly. And, um, and we, we decided and thought that, that maybe the best idea was something that we'd done a lot of in London and, uh, and it was quite normal and we hadn't seen lots of people doing here. And it was a way that I could try out all new ideas and do new things for, for new people. Um, and it's strange, in, in summer that's so busy in, in summer and, and the season, um, goes quite quiet. Some, most of the big hotels are closed, lots of the restaurants closed. So it was kind of two birds with one stone. I got to do something that I really liked. <clears throat> and then at the same time, we got to showcase and, and have a tiny little bit of business going in the off season as well. That hopefully would cater more towards locals and, and would sort of help raise awareness of what we do for the rest of the year. So Piers, take us through a menu of Charlie's Kitchen that you would have done because um, it's a number of courses and they're quite interesting. Tell, tell, tell us how you formulate your menu. Uh, the, the, the idea is that it's all new stuff every time, which, which people say I keep sort of shooting myself in the foot because each time is, is stuff that I haven't really done before but what I do is try and do up test plates and work on ideas and, it, and it's, it's basically coming up with stuff that well, is brand new and quite interesting. Um, it's, we bill it I think is around six to eight courses. Um, so it's a tasting menu and sometimes it goes up to sort of 11 courses, including canapes and snacks. But it's supposed to be more of like an adventure into sort of food and, and what's about and what's seasonal at the time. Um, but yeah, it's exciting. I get to do things that I've never done and things that are a little bit crazy. And what about the, the Mallorquin influences? I mean, does the, do the suckling pig come into your repertoire ever or any of the, the trampo or <laughs> I'm actually thinking about doing a whole Mallorquian tasting uh, Charlie's Kitchen um, doing a whole menu based on my interpretations of, of um, every classic local thing but um, no it does um, I mean Sobrasado is, is beautiful and famous here and so I did on the last one we did a Sobrasado lollipop and uh, it was um, basically sobrasada with sautéed apple and sage and capers and then it was shaped into a lollipop and then panned with dried black olive crumb served on a lollipop stick on a big bed of old beautiful cork so so the ideas are stuff that is local and around but, but looked at in a slightly different way and and it was served to lots of Mallorquians and they which was interesting and they were like no it's beautiful we like your take it is you know they would eat it with a glass of red wine and a bit of bread and just spread it with a knife but 
it's looking at stuff in a different way, which is kind of interesting. And what about the um, the, the local um, dominance of products? I mean, do you forage for things that you use in your menus? Uh, yeah, I do. I, I, that's one thing that I'm getting excited about and learning more. And I think that was one of the really exciting things about um, coming here is is the, the abundance of stuff that's everywhere. And I kind of forage for three things. Backgrounds for photographs, food, and then the weirdest things I can put my food on. But the food side of things is amazing. I've got three olive trees in my front garden, um, which yesterday I was climbing and picking olives to, to brine, water cure and then brine. Um, we have pink peppercorns trees on the street. Um, there's there's figs, so many different types. I've heard that there's over 80 varieties of figs on the island, and um, and there's so many different types. They're amazing, but what you can find on the streets or on the mountains and the hills is is amazing. It's a hell of a lot different to Brixton, <laughs> and and for me that for me that brings up it's 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 just opened a whole new avenue of using what I can and what's around. I think the other thing is a lot of people and chefs. Uh, use a lot of flowers and garnishes to decorate and I kind of am really in a lucky place that I have a garden that grows and so all my garnishes and the flowers that I use are all grown so everything's grown and the seeds I collect and then reuse the seeds for the next year um, and just use things that that are around at the time for each meal um, as for what's available on the island it's amazing come the beginning of the year it, every store is covered in artichokes and broad beans and so so naturally artichokes and broad beans come in um, I was just given a, a, a huge sack full of quinces um, and so made a lovely big batch of quince jelly which will come on to the next Charlie's Kitchen um, and I think it's for me curing my own olives and and doing things like that is it's really exciting and cool I think the next thing for me is cured meats what, to cure your own pig? Yeah, are you yeah. going to kill your own pig? Well, I've got, I've got an invitation from, from a lovely uh, wine bodega um, on the island and they're making their own sobrasada. So hopefully going off, and that's been one of the things I've wanted to do for three years, is, is to go and watch and learn. And the and, exactly. And so do you have any particular aspect of food that you love more than any other? I mean, are you a starter, main course, or dessert man? Are you a dessert man? Personally, I've never. What, what's what's really interesting in the cooking world is is that chefs are broken up into two sections, and one section is savoury and normal cooking, and then the other, which is a whole different career, is uh, pastry and desserts and sweets. And being just a normal chef that did start a main canapes and things like that, my dessert repertoire was uh, a lot smaller than most. But that's been another amazing challenge about being here is, is I've just come into a world of desserts because there's no one else to make them. So it's been a massive, lovely learning curve for me, which is, which is really nice. I, so what, what would you say your favorite dessert was at this moment? For me to eat personally or to prepare? I think, I think uh, what I've, what I do is kind of find what's seasonal and use that fruit as the base for my dessert. So last year's winter Charlie's Kitchen was all based around pears. The one that we've just had is all based around apples. And then taking sort of normal ideas of a dessert and uh, doing it in a completely different way. 
so so it was apples and cider was the last dessert and it had hints of apple pie and all different things on it so the charlie's kitchen is uh, very much a, a winter project is that right yeah charlie's kitchen is uh we just did our first one which was started off as one day and it went to three days on the weekend which was good sold out all of them and we've just put together i've just been working on the menu for the next one so december is done but i think it's already fully booked before we even get to advertise um so january is the next one but it's a winter project and it's it's um just a time to to for me to get excited about what's happening on the island in winter. And do you have um, other locations or is it always the same house you use? We've used two houses in the village so far and I think what we'd like to do in January is to do one in Palma. Um, so we're always open for location ideas. We're looking next week on Wednesday at another location up towards Fauna Lucha a bit more. But but yeah, it, I, th I think Locations are amazing and what is so good is that in the winter all these big beautiful thinkers and villas are, are empty and they're the perfect place to showcase. Yeah. So people get the experience of the, the, you know, the, the fine Mallorcan houses and the, and the, and the food and as, a, as a package then, the whole thing. Yeah, the, gra the grandeur of the house. And, yeah. uh, but the, the key and, and what's been really cool about Charlie's Kitchen is that we use um, open spaces so that the, it's almost like a chef's table. So, Cambaya Stair is one of the places where the kitchen and the and the dining area is in the same room, and that you're three meters away from from where the food's being prepared to where the diners are eating. So, people can sit and enjoy and chat and talk and and, and meet other people, which is the nice thing about it. Most of the people don't know who else is turning up, um, as it's just tickets bought or requested for seats, um, and then people get to meet, talk, and meet new people that they might not have met, um, and at the same time as they're eating. And enjoying they can sit and watch everything being prepared as it does so there's a bit of live performance in it as well but it's quite interactive which is fun for me as well it means I have to keep my my uh, attitude in check the whole time <laughs> yeah, yeah. so this is show cooking kitchen entertainment a dinner party and meeting a whole pile of new people. So, so Holly's kept busy somewhere there, is she, your wife? <laughs> yeah, it's quite funny, the brains behind the whole business. Everyone says, you know, I, I was thinking as we were coming up here that maybe it shouldn't be Piers Dawson, uh, private chef, or PiersDawson.com, and maybe it should be uh, Holly Dawson, because the most of the work and everything that's done is, is all of her. And I said in another interview before that, that I just the guy that does the cooking and occasionally writes some menus while she does everything. And then on the nights, what's really interesting and nice is she comes along and she hosts the event um, and she talks people through what's going on and she, she looks after everyone and she's a massive help to me as well. So take us through then what the, what the future is going to hold because my question to you really is you can't stay the size you are, you're going to need to grow aren't you? That, because there's a whole pile of people that want more of you. <laughs> that's that. We, we were having a talk about this this morning um, as we're doing redoing website stuff. I'm really lucky at the moment this season, um, which has allowed us to almost double or triple the amount of work that we took in last year. It's been a, a blessing in disguise. We have a I have like a sous chef, a Spaniard called Lewis, who's from Zaragoza, and uh, he comes up and helps me. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's a give 
give win-win situation. He's madly passionate about food um, and one day wants to go and work on the boats, but hopefully I'm slowly training and changing him his idea that he might want to continue working with me. But for the whole summer, he's been working with me and where I teach him and train him. And for me, it's, that's a love of it as well as to be passionate and to have someone that's interested in and, and willing to listen instead of me boring my wife with exciting things that I think are really cool that I'm doing. But, but Lewis has been brilliant, so um, he comes and helps, um, and, and, and the last Charlie's Kitchen was there and almost sort of started running everything on the night. Um, but it's good, he's, he's involved um, with food himself. His parents own a uh, tapas bar in Parma, which uh, is amazing, I'll have to get the details for people, but it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful bar with a coal fire, and it's basically men drinking beer, cooking meat, and, and I couldn't think of anything better. <laughs> mm, not sure about that, but okay, fair enough. <laughs> but what about expansion into other worlds? Because I, I would imagine that um, the people that you've worked for in the past knock on your door. Did you not do something in the Olympics? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I did. Um, one of the, I, I kind of, I'm. Uh, the beauty about leaving here was when well, leaving England was when I left. The two companies I worked for, Allison Price and Global Infusion Group, were we left on the best terms possible, and I was senior at both of the uh, companies for ten years at one and. 14 or 15 at the other so when I left they were kind of they helped me in any way they could um, and in return I still get all the phone calls and things so I just got back from London and we do a massive job for two and a half thousand people that happens every year um, and it's it's up to five courses Michelin star standard food five course sit-down dinner um, and and I go back and ran one of the kitchens which it has five kitchens to do the event and my kitchen, I think, had about 860 people, which is a nice little number for an event. And so, so that's really good. It's something I've loved doing and do every year. Global Infusion Group have and do a lot of stuff with the Olympics. And so this year I flew out to Brazil for a month. The, the, the biggest, most wonderful thing about it was that when I looked at the weather and August in Soya in the kitchen gets up to about 55 degrees and uh, it was winter and 23 degrees over there. So I thought, perfect, perfect. But that definitely was an adventure. I mean, just to be in Rio was, was really cool. Well, it's a fantastic opportunity, but what other opportunities have come your way because of what you're doing here, though? I mean, I, c I can't believe that there aren't people knocking on your door begging you to come and work for them in their restaurants or to run restaurants for them. <laughs> I've been asked by people in the square to come <laughs> and run their kitchens for them, which is interesting. Um, but no, I, I, I've got some really lovely families and people that I've done quite a bit of work for, and I think we're off to Sweden in January to... Um, or beginning of February to, to have a look over there. One of the families are going to look after us for a change, which will be lovely. Um, and I think that was one of the things with the move was that if, if someone did come knocking on our door and said, we want you to come over here or do this, then, then we're able to do stuff like that. Um, but yeah, but here in the village, it's, uh, yeah, it's, been, it's been really good. And, and I think we've had lots of repeat customers and people come back, which is, which is nice. And as you said earlier, the next hardest bit is trying to manage how to make a business more than three or four months of the summer. 
hence Charlie's Kitchen and, and other things that are going on as well. What, what other ideas, are, can you discuss any other ideas that you have for extending the season? What Charlie's Kitchen brings us is, is working and dealing more with locals and uh, people that live in the village. Myokians and expats as well. Um, and I think what we'd love to do is just more special events for people like that in the beginning of the year and the end of the year. Focus on Charlie's Kitchen as our fun little side project um, and then do quality and, and jobs that, that we like to do through the summer. Um, maybe if we could extend summer slightly <laughs> and and get more people that way but but i think it's the next step is more staff and then we have the kind of weird question is i i kind of really want to be quite bespoke and have my fingers in and do everything that i'm doing and that's almost a downfall is that i get too passionate and want to do more and do more detailed and make things more special and, and make my life a lot harder than it could be. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's, it's staff is, is the idea. Well, I have to, before we finish this chat, talk to you about bread, because you, the, your bread is what you are known for. Tell us about your breads. <laughs> she likes my bread too. Um, it's, it's, it's one of the strange passions. People ask me what's my favorite thing to do, and it's always, it's always been Asian food and making dim sum. It's the most therapeutical thing in the world. I can make thousands of dumplings just sitting there for days. But in the last three years or so, I've, I've had, my dad was really massive and still is into sourdough. And it was something that I, I knew what sourdough I like to eat. And so I've been on this adventure for sort of three years now and uh, trying to find the perfect recipe and, and idea and learning. And I think the deeper you go into it, the, the, the more insane and harder it gets. Um, but yeah, it's, it's bread. It's, and, and I can talk in details. And, and one, of the, one of the things in Charlie's Kitchen, or most of the things, I always have bread involved in every menu and it's always sourdough. And uh, we did an Asian uh, Charlie's Kitchen and um, I tried to work out how I would get sourdough into an Asian menu and uh, so I did a, a, an umami course and umami is the fifth sense of the, of the Eastern world that the West is starting to pick up um, and, and I did a whole sourdough course which, which was um, black and white sesame seeds and seaweed, nori powdered sourdough served with kombu butter whipped kombu butter and kombu is a seaweed from japan which is then which is which i cook and blitz into a powder and then put it into whipped butter and so i give this amazing lovely description of this bread and butter and at the end turn around and say simply it's bread and butter i hope you enjoy but yeah it's it's it, trying to find out different things to do and ways to do it is um it's really exciting do you ever buy any bread I try not to. <laughs> well, there's no white sliced loaf in your house. Oh, we, we have for Charlie sometimes, but he loves sourdough too. The weirdest flavour sourdoughs he loves as well. But what, what is sourdough? Sourdough is, is um, well, it's amazing. It's a naturally, naturally leavened uh, bread. It uses no um, commercial yeast. So the yeast is, is made up through uh, natural yeast in the air. And it starts off with a thing called a starter or a mother. Basically, the mother or the sourdough starter is a culture. It's fermenting water and, uh, and flour, and it creates life, and that's what you use to make your bread rise, um, which in turn gives it a beautiful um, 
a beautiful sour, sour taste and a really chewy flavor, which is, it's, it's lovely. I wish I knew more about it, but at the moment, well, it sounds as though you know plenty about it. You're probably the world's expert on sourdough bread. No, no, well, that, yeah, I think every day I take a step forward, I realise that I know a, a hell of a lot less than I thought I knew. Can I just ask you about some of the traditions around here? I mean, the drying traditions that's, that are everywhere. We live in a place where there's, a, there's gluts of tomatoes and there's gluts of figs, and so it's quite common. I think I think the the thing that made me in answer to your question the thing that made me so excited about being here was that in London the markets everything is so readily available you can get anything you want out of season builders everything like this guy loading <laughs> up his van but you can you can get anything that you want and you kind of almost lose the seasonality of everything and I think coming here I was suddenly really exposed to, like I said before, artichokes come in and they're everywhere. And, and you, go to, you go to the markets anywhere on the island and there's just, they're almost selling the same stuff because that's what's in season at the time. And, and the beauty of it is people have been so used to the tradition of preserving and storing. So sobrasada and chorizo are made in the winter um, and the, you know families join together and they own pigs together, they slaughter them all together and then they cure them for, to use for the whole summer. And then, then it gets to the end and they do it all again. And I love that. Um, it's like the artichokes are then pickled and brined and then left in oil and stuff. Um, the tomatoes are, are all the way up towards Fornaluch and everywhere you see the, these beautiful tomatoes. There's too many to eat in summer, so everyone dries them and keeps them. The olive season, it doesn't happen all year. It happens, you know, now's the time where everyone's going crazy. And it's, it's what I've slowly tried to start to do. So, you know, I've got preserved lemons in jars. I've got all my quince jellies sort of made that can be used for the year. Um, my olives are storing in jars. It's kind of, for me, I'm building up a back catalogue of things that I can then use again. It's like, it's like all the plants and things as well, saving the seeds and then replanting again for the next year. Um, which is really nice, I really like it. So to dry your own tomatoes is just a pleasure. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the bonkers thing about what I do and what I'm about is it's making sourdough, it's, it's drying and curing and, and for me it's so fun because I'm seeing things that I didn't grow up with. And I did just buy a dehydrator, which, which is a lot of fun as well. So instead of having to dry things in the sun, I've got a box that I can slowly dry. My stuff oh, technology is taking over your tomatoes to dry then, is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. Well, although I'm a big fan of very slow roasted oven tomatoes, like six hours in a really low oven. Yeah, now that's my, that's my preferred way of yeah. making it, actually. It, it, yeah. it, how smells yeah. amazing. And they just become caramelised tomatoes, don't they? Yeah, yeah, they, they, yeah. And, and the joy is you can take the worst tomatoes that yeah. are there, green ones and everything, yeah. put a tiny, tiny bit of... Bit and I think that's what... You, anything that, that I grow, I kind of use the herbs instead of that goes with that or you use what you have and suddenly learn and make famous new ideas or but new marinades yeah, 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 things, the but it's, but, marinades. <laughs> but everything's fresh and lovely and I think that's that's one of the cool things that I that I can 
say when I'm cooking for people is the nasturtium leaves or the nasturtium powder from the leaves or the flowers are all grown in my garden. You know, which is if I use viola flowers or things like that, they're from the garden. If, if I'm doing dishes and need flowers, they're rosemary flowers if they're in season. And at the beginning I was like, I've got to go all the way to, um, to the markets in Parma because I need to get this and I have to have, and I think over, you know, just finishing my second year here, um, not including all the times before, but now I'm realizing that the things that I thought I had to use are now sort of slipping away and I'm using things that, that I'm accessible to. Uh, are you content you're achieving your ambition along the way? I, I feel like we're achieving more than I ever thought I wanted to. I came over with a, with a mountain bike and, uh, and to, to ride the mountains and I gave that to my wife and I borrowed my mum's three-speed girl step through with a basket on the front and it's an old relic and it's amazing I can get on that and ride around the village and, and to look up at the mountains and see it just, it just makes me absolutely content. To be able to cook and do things here, well, that's just an absolute bonus as well. And, and to have a boy that's learning, can speak better Spanish, uh, Castellano and Catalan than I can is, uh, is amazing. Well, I think we can rightly end there. Um, I'm sure we're going to be following your progress over the years, but right now you've really filled us in on a wonderful opportunity that you've taken and embraced with both hands. And uh, so long may your cooking skills delight the people of the Solia Valley and the surrounding area. Thank you for joining Boat Radio today. <laughs> oh, it's been an absolute pleasure. And I just wanted to say thank you to all the people in Soya and the people that allow me to be able to do it. I could have been on a plane back two years ago. Luckily, I'm here and staying here for a while, which is lovely.